Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Word that never changes, and your Word does not change because you do not change, and You are not like man that you shall lie. So whatever you have promised is going to happen. Whatever has been prophesied is going to happen. You know all things, Lord. And so we take hold of those things. And, you know, one of those promises that we look forward to is the fact that your son, Jesus, is coming back for his church. We're looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to keep our hand, help us to be faithful in keeping our hand on the gospel plow, not looking back, Lord, but moving forward, continuing to serve you in the way you want us to serve you, continuing to use whatever spiritual gifts you allow us to use on this side of heaven. Help us to use them for your glory and for the edification or building up of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints. So, Lord, we pray for open and receptive hearts to your word and to your work. And I pray for the gift of teaching. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. Help me, Lord, to share whatever timely word you have for your people. And if there's anybody who's not, who has not made the decision to repent and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would draw them tonight. We pray, Lord, that you remove the spiritual blinders tonight, that you would soften any hard hearts tonight, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to continue with our theme of reaching your full potential in Christ. The journey continues. And so we're going to march toward the, the fulfillment of this theme in our lives as we study Second Samuel chapter 7. Very significant chapter, as all of them are, but there's something beautiful that's going to happen in this chapter. And so we want to turn to verse 1 in Second Samuel 7. And we want to begin to see what the Lord has for us tonight. In verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, which is his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar. I, I, I dwell in this Fancy house, but the ark of God, remember that ark, it it represented uh, the presence of God. And and that mercy seat on top of the ark of the covenant, it it was like a picture of, of God's throne. And so he says that is dwelling inside tent curtains, but here I am in this solid permanent structure, this dwelling place, this house of cedar, then Nathan said to the king in verse 3, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So some people do not think about the Lord after they receive blessings from God. David 
was a man after God's own heart. He had been immensely blessed by the Lord. But, but he was thinking about God. But like I said, not, not everyone does that. They, they take the blessings and run with it and forget all about him. They start thinking about the next blessing, the next dollar that they're going to make, the, the next award they're going to uh, receive. See, but David, it tells us in these first three verses, he was thinking about God, even from his place of comfort, even from his place of blessing. And I wonder tonight, how often do we think about doing something for God versus the times we think of receiving from God? We take an honest look, some of us, We'll find an imbalance there. That more often than not, we're thinking about receiving from the Lord instead of thinking about him and thinking about doing something for him. Like King David was doing here in this study. Or how often do we think about ourselves versus thinking about giving to him? And so we can learn something here from King David. As we have been, as we've gone through 1 Samuel and now we're moving through 2 Samuel. We can learn something from this man of God who, who truly loved the Lord. In those moments of comfort, think about the Lord. In verse 4 it says, But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Or are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? And the Lord says, for I have not dwelt. I've never lived in a house since or from the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I've moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. And immediately what what comes to some of your minds is that, that, that time in the wilderness, that, that 40-year experience. Some of you are thinking about that as the Lord shared this with Nathan the prophet. In verse 7, it says, Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone? Have I ever spoken a word to any of the tribal leaders? Whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Have I ever said that? Is that something I ever desired the Lord is sharing with Nathan? This man, Nathan, this man of God, he had previously told David to go ahead and do all that is within your heart. And so here is God's answer just to put a little more context to what's going on. So based on these verses, having a temple built for him to dwell in was not at the top of God's list. See, God, in other words, was not lacking anything. He was not saying, I don't have anywhere to dwell. I'm missing shelter. He wasn't thinking that based on these verses. He was not lacking anything. Anything. If if God is ever lacking anything, he would not be God. 
because he is sufficient in and of himself. And this goes to show us that that God really doesn't need anything from us. In other words, he is not dependent on us, but we do need him. We are dependent on him. In Acts 17, verse 28, at least the first part of that verse shows that. Because it says, in him, we live and move and we have our being. It is in God that we live. God has given us the breath of life. It is because of God that we're able to move. It is because of God that we have our being. It is because of God that we, in other words, exist in the first place. See, we are dependent on him, not the other way around. Now, therefore, in verse 8, thus shall you say to my servant David. Now, that, that's a, I, I would love for the Lord to refer to me that way as his servant. But he said, you shall say to him, say to King David, thus says the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven's armies. I took you from the sheepfold or pasture from following or tending the sheep, the flock. So I took you from that, from this lowly position, and, and I raised you up, in other words, in verse 8, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. So he is the king over the nation of Israel. And he says, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off, I've destroyed all your enemies from before you, and I've, I've made you great, or I made you a great name. Another way of saying that is, I made your name famous, like the name of the great men or those famous men who are on the earth. And moreover, or even more than that, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, his chosen nation. And he says, I will plant them that they may dwell in the place of their own and and move no more. He says, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel. So so even from the day that the Lord commanded judges to be over his people, the, the wicked folks oppressed them. The enemies attacked him, attacked the children of Israel. But but the Lord promised that that will not happen. There's going to come a point that that won't happen. He's going to plant them. And he says, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. He will give them rest one day from all their enemies. No more war. No more folks attacking them. That that day is still future. And he says this. He's telling Nathan, the prophet, to, to tell David this. And the Lord tells you or declares to you that he will make you a house. So you want to make a house for me, a temple. No, I'm I'm going to make you a house. And and he's speaking of a royal dynasty or a dynasty of kings. He's, He's saying that kings are going to come from you. It's going to be a dynasty. And so what we see in verses 8 through 11 is that the Lord pointed out how he was 
very much involved in King David's life. But then he also promised stability and he promised safety for the nation of Israel, his chosen people. You know, on top of that, he promised to make a royal dynasty, as I shared with you before, from David's bloodline. And so what we are beginning to see are, are some of the promises God had made to David and what we would call an unconditional covenant. So it's unconditional because it doesn't depend on anything that David or any of his descendants will do or what they will fail to do, but it's unconditional. God will make sure that these promises are fulfilled. He's going to make sure that the terms of this covenant or agreement will be fulfilled. And this is what we call, by the way, the Davidic covenant. Disagreement. And so in this Davidic covenant, you see that he's speaking of the nation, the nation of Israel. He's speaking of the land. And he's also speaking, of course, of the Messiah. And so Messiah, of course, means the anointed one. And so it's the, the root is Hebrew. And then Christ, of course, will be the New Testament version of the Messiah. And the root of Christ, of course, would come from the Greek language. And so in this unconditional covenant, this Davidic covenant, again, it speaks of the nation, the land, and the Messiah. And we continue in verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, in other words, when you die and rest with your ancestors, David, I will set up your seed, your descendant after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he, your seed, your descendant, your son, David, shall build a house. He shall build a temple for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so that, that seed that will end up building the temple for the Lord, that the temple that David wanted to build for the Lord, that, that seed is a reference to Solomon, King David's son, who, who will come further down the line as we continue reading in the Old Testament. And so, no, David wouldn't be able to, to build the, the temple for the Lord. He wasn't able to carry out his intentions but Solomon would eventually. But God commended David's intentions. God commended that. And we find out that God actually commended what was in David's heart to do, even though he wasn't able to do it. We find that out during the time that Solomon is king. And during the time that Solomon had, had, had built the temple. Because in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18, this is Solomon talking. He said, but the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. So, so your father wasn't able, Solomon, to, to complete the building of this temple in my name, but you were able to do it. But that, that intention that he had. What was in his heart to do, it was, it was good. He did well. He had a pure motive. He had a good motive for doing it. 
And so even though some of us may have good intentions and a pure motive, sometimes it's not for us to do what is in our heart. Maybe we get some type of idea to to be a part of or to start some type of outreach or ministry. It may come to mind. We may be excited about it. It may be stirring in our hearts. We write it down in our notes and even share it with some people. Even still, it, it may not be something that God wants us to actually be a part of or to do. It could very well be something that God has called another saint to do. You know, for example, there's some people who want to be a a missionary and go to foreign lands. But that may not be God's will for them to, to go to foreign lands. Even though it's in their heart to do that, it may be God's will for them to to share their finances or to pray or to do something locally. That may be the Lord's will, even though your intentions may be good. But you want to make sure that you understand God's calling and his will in your life. But if the motive is pure, the motive is good, even in situations like that, one example that I shared with you about being a missionary in a, in a foreign land, I, I believe that the Lord will, will look at you like he did King David and said, you did well that it was in your heart. However, I got something else for you to do. And this lesson here should really serve um, as a lesson or, you know, for Nathan should serve as a lesson for him because he at first was on board with it. He, he, he told David to go ahead and do whatever's in your heart to do. But after receiving this information from the Lord, he, he should have learned from this because now he has to go back and, and tell David what the Lord has said. And so he has to do a little clean up here. And I wonder if any of you have been in that position. You, you gave someone some advice. You didn't pray about it. You didn't tell the other person to pray about it. But you just gave them that advice because maybe you heard it on TV. Maybe you heard another pastor or another Christian share it. Or maybe you just thought it sounded good. That it rolled off of your tongue. But, but once you got home, the Lord was like, no. That wasn't what you should have shared with them. Maybe you've been in that position before and you had to go back and fix it. You know, I've been in that position before. Well, I should have shared something with somebody. I didn't necessarily tell them to do the wrong thing or anything like that, but I remember someone was talking to me at a grocery store and you know, we exchanged numbers and everything, and, and I remember they shared something with me, and I didn't comment on it. You know, looking back, I know that the Lord had put that on my heart to share, but I didn't, I didn't really know if that was me or, or the Lord. I didn't know at that time. 
And my motive for being quiet was good because there's a time to be quiet and there's a time to speak. So I thought, okay, time to be quiet. I would just exchange numbers, invite them to church and so forth. And, and I tell you, that week, the Lord was messing with me, boy. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep well. I was like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Oh, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm sure now that that's something that you wanted me to say. So I remember having to text that person and, and share what the Lord wanted me to share. And I texted because I don't think the person picked up the phone. And then, and then he sent it back to me. And, oh, thank you for sharing that, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know if you've been in that position before of having to go back. But it's a humbling position to be in. So I'm not perfect, but I do a little better now. Trying to learn from those mistakes. So guess what? When, when people come to you asking for advice... I would encourage you to take them to the word of God because that is a clear way to understand what the will of God is. But I understand that there's some things that you won't find a scripture for, like where do I buy a house or should I take this job right here? There's no specific scripture for that. And so in those situations, I would encourage them to pray about it. Either way, pray about it, whether you can find it in the word or not, pray about it. And even if you can't find a specific scripture for a certain situation, you can at least find the principle and still encourage them to pray about it. But one thing I would say not to do is is do not encourage them to do all that is within their hearts. Don't do that. And Jeremiah 17, 9 would would tell us why, or it tells us why we shouldn't do that. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it says it's desperately wicked. That, That is the human heart. We would trick ourselves. Our hearts would even trick us. That that's something we know we shouldn't do, that 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 maybe God will make an exception for us. Or maybe God will make an exception for that person we love. Well, I know the Bible says this, but this person does a lot of good things. This person, they they do so much. This person visits hospitals and and things like that. So, So I don't think God will mind if they were to do this or to partake of that. And so our hearts... Are deceitful would deceive us. We we have a sin nature. And so knowing that information from Jeremiah 17, 9, we would not encourage you to tell somebody to do everything that is within your heart. And I believe when when people tell others to do that, especially in regard to sinful things, I believe that adds to the chaos and the craziness that is going on in our society. It's a part of the reason our society is in the shape it's in today because some folks, even church folks, pat folks on the back in their sin and tell them, oh, oh this is how you're supposed to be. This is how the Lord made you. And, and if God didn't approve of it, he would have struck you down already. There's no judgment against you yet. All seems to be well, so... 
it must be okay for you to do it. We pat them on the back in their sin, encouraging them in their sin, encouraging them to give in to the sinful dictates of their hearts. And that's part of the reason, like I said, that our society is in the shape it's in today. People going to bat for them in their sin. Instead of speaking the truth in love. In verse 14, it says, and this is God still speaking to Nathan. He said, I will be his father. Speaking of Solomon, David's son, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity or lawlessness, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. In other words, with humans. He says, but my mercy, my faithful love shall not depart from him, shall not depart from Solomon as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. You, of course, being King David. So here God speaks of chastising or disciplining or, if you will, spanking David's son's son if he sins. He speaks of that. And notice this, God can also use other humans to meet out his chastisement. We even see that in the Old Testament, how, how the Lord used the nation of Babylon to chastise Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Took them off the land, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took them out of the land to Babylon. He, the Lord used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to do that. And then uh, before that, in the northern kingdom, he used the Assyrians to take the folks in the northern kingdom of Israel out of the land. God can use other humans, other nations, even if they don't believe to chastise or to spank his children if necessary. And so we see this in these verses And I will say this, if you're a child of God, and I know many of you are, if you're a child of God and and you're sinning, you're not confessing your sins to the Lord to get back in fellowship with him. Notice I didn't say to get back in a relationship with him, because if you're truly born again, you're still in the relationship, but you may not be on the same page with the Lord. And so we we confess our sins to get back in fellowship, to get back in the same page with the Lord. And so as believers, when we sin and we don't confess that sin to him and we keep ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we, we refuse to repent. You best believe chastisement from the Lord is going to come. A spanking from the Lord is going to come and that can come in many different ways. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8 says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What son is there whom a father does not spank or discipline? But if you are without chastening, if you call yourself a believer and you're sinning, You're refusing to repent. You're refusing to confess that sin to the Lord. But you call yourself a Christian and and you still don't get spanked. It says, then you are illegitimate and not sons. 
And so I have to wonder if a person can claim to be a Christian but disagree with Jesus in various matters. Whether, it, whether it, it's in regard to the value of life, whether it's in regard to uh, a biblical marriage. A lot of people claim to be Christian, but then they disagree with Christ. And they live these lifestyles that disagree with Christ, but then there's no spanking. I will tell that person, since I don't know their heart, I will tell that person to evaluate whether or not you are in the faith. I can't say I don't know what's in your heart, but you need to evaluate, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are really in the faith. As Jesus talks about, Jesus even talked about those four different soils that the seed was planted in. Notice that only one of those types of soil bore fruit. And I believe that was the only one that was truly saved. Jesus even talked about Matthew chapter 7. There's many who's going to say, uh, Lord, Lord, but he's going to tell them, I never knew you. Not I used to know you, but I never knew you. And so Jesus even talked about false converts. He talked about the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares, they look alike. He says, no, don't, don't separate them. In the parable he was telling, he said, let them grow up together. Let the false converts and the true believers grow up together. There is going to come a time of separation, but not yet. Told a parable about it. So even Jesus taught about false converts. And so, so this is one test of, of, of a possible false convert. If you are without chastening and you can live a life of sin, be happy about it, no conviction at all, then evaluate that. Are you really a believer? That sounds harsh, but it's the word. But additionally, what you get from this, as, as God is talking about David's seed, as he's talking about Solomon, you see that God promises that his mercy, his, his faithful love will not depart from David's son. And he goes on, and, and your house, your royal dynasty, in other words, and your kingdom shall be established. It's, it's going to endure forever before you. Your throne, David, shall be established forever According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. This man of God was faithful in relaying this message uh, from God to King David. He, he corrected his misunderstanding of, of telling David to do whatever is in his heart. But here, just to point out, it says that David's throne will be established forever. How would that be? David, David passed on. Solomon passed on all those other kings of, of Judah from David's bloodline. They passed on. How, how, how will his throne be established forever? But that's because the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ will come from David's bloodline. In fact, this was even shared with Mary by the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel said to her in Luke 1, uh, verses 32 and 33, he says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father or ancestor, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So that's how it's going to be fulfilled. 
this promise to David, how his throne will endure forever because the Messiah, will, Jesus Christ, will reign forever. So right now we're waiting on the rapture where we meet him in the air. But there's going to come a day, of course, where we're going to come back with him and he's going to establish his reign on this earth for a thousand years. And, and then, of course, Satan is going to be released. He's even going to deceive some people to join him. And I believe that the people he will deceive uh, during that millennial, at the end of the millennial uh, kingdom, th- some of those people that he'll get on his side are, are the offspring of the original people who were allowed to go into the millennial kingdom in their non-glorified bodies. And so a thousand year reign is up. The millennial kingdom is up. Satan's released from that pit that he was put in at the beginning of Revelation 20. The deception begins. Even after a time of peace, even after a thousand years of of righteousness, what, what people have longed for, that's going to be in place for a thousand years. He's going to visibly reign on this earth from his headquarters in Jerusalem. Even the animal kingdom will be getting along. You're not going to have no more of this when animal attack shows where animals are going to be beating up humans. I saw one show where I don't know if it was a, I don't know what kind of animal it was. Was it a goat or whatever it was? It stood up on its hind legs and was boxing a human like it was Muhammad Ali or somebody. It's not going to be any more of that during the millennial kingdom. Right? But, but it goes to show you when you talk about how some of these folks at the end of the millennial kingdom, how they're still going to be deceived by Satan and go on his side to come against Christ. It goes to show you that, that, that the problem is not Jesus, that the promise, that the problem is not a peaceful and, and a nonviolent or a righteous and holy society. It's not that says that he'll rule with the rod of iron, which is enforced righteousness. Oh, we don't have that now. That's the problem. No, it's not that. It's going to go to show you once and for all that the problem is, as we shared before, the human heart. That's what it'll show when, when some of those people are deceived at the end of the millennial reign. But, but, but yes, David is, I'm not David, Jesus is going to reign during that kingdom. And, and he's going to reign forever, the scriptures tell us. But it says then King David, he went in, he, he heard this news from, from Nathan and he sat before the Lord. He sat in the Lord's presence and he said, who am I, O Lord? And what is my house? What is my, my family? My, there's this dynasty that's going to come from me that you have brought me this far. And, and yet this was a small thing. This was nothing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of uh, your servant's house. You've spoken of this royal dynasty for a great while to come, this lasting dynasty. You spoke of that. Is this the manner of man, O Lord? The New Living Translation says, do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? So we see that after hearing all this, David's mind was blown. He was in awe and he was humbled by what God has already done for him and by what God has promised to do. And now what more, David continues as he begins 
as he's praising the Lord, as he's giving thanks to the Lord. She's worshiping. He says, now what more can David say to you, referring to himself in third person, for you, Lord God, you know your servant. I like that. What David said about himself is what God said about him privately to Nathan. Called himself your servant. And God called him privately to Nathan. This is my servant, David. Just love how that correlates. But he, he continues, for your word's sake and, and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. So this man of God, this sweet psalmist of Israel, this man who wrote many of the psalms and was gifted in music and so forth, gifted in song, talented in this area. See, this man was at a loss for words. He acknowledged that God has done all these great things because of his promises and according to his will. And on top of that, he let David in on these plans. So he says, therefore, you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people? Who is like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name? He set this people free. That's what redemption is hinting at. And he says, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. For your people, for whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. Who's like your people? Verse 24, for you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. So first of all, in this, in this uh, moment of praise or thanksgiving, David points out the uniqueness of God. See, the God of the Bible, the God we serve is indeed unique. Isaiah 44, 6 says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He is unique. There's no one like him. There is no one but him. But also notice this. He calls himself Yahweh calls himself the God of the Old Testament, calls himself the first and the last. And that is the same title or description that is given to Jesus in the book of Revelation. So who is Jesus? He's God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Whatever God the Father is or has, Jesus has that. But of course, he's submissive to the Father's will. But besides me, there is no God. But not only does he point out the uniqueness of God, David also points out the uniqueness of Israel. And when you read, when you read this, this, this moment of praise or thanksgiving that David has given to the Lord, notice that their uniqueness is not based on anything that Israel has done. But the uniqueness is based on what God has done for them. But lastly, I like to point out, And it's not in the text, but I want to point this out about you. And what I want to point out about you is that you too are unique. But Pastor Darrell, I'm an identical twin. Wait a minute. You are unique because even if you are an identical twin, you don't even have the same fingerprints as your identical twin. The wisdom of God. The wisdom 
of God. You probably don't even weigh exactly the same. You're, you're probably some ounces off when you weigh yourself and your identical twin weighs himself or herself. And so even if you're an identical twin, you're still unique. And in your uniqueness, I want to share this with you. God knows everything about you and God loves you in your uniqueness. And so you don't have to look like everyone else. You don't have to have curly hair like Pastor Darrell. You don't have to wear the same glasses that I wear, and it's probably good that you do not do that. You don't have to grow facial hair. And in my wife's case, I'm I'm glad that she doesn't have facial hair like Pastor Darrell. You don't have to look like everyone else. You don't have to get the same grades for those of you who are in school or make the same amount of money for God to love you. God loves you in your uniqueness, and he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. Yes, he did that for the unique you. In verse 25, it says, Now, O Lord God, the word, that is the word of the covenant, which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, his royal dynasty. He says, Lord, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever. Saying, or this could be interpreted, and people will say, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. I will build you a royal dynasty. Your kingly line will continue on and on and on forever. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart. Or in other words, he's saying, I found the courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house, to bless my family, this royal dynasty of your servant, that it may continue before you forever for you, O Lord God have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So David, in, in, in this prayer here, this moment of praise, he, he, he took God at his word, and he repeated God's word back to him in his prayer. And I know many of you do that. And, and I would say that when we do this, don't, don't do it because you think God may have forgotten what he said. Don't repeat the word back to him like he's forgotten his promises. But when we do that, and, and I do that as well, I, I do it because I believe it and because I trust God to do what he said. And so if you want to know how to grow in your prayer life, and I have a lot of room to grow in, so I'm not sitting up here like I'm this prayer guru or expert or whatever, but, but I would say it would be helpful if you learn the word of God. Get into the word of God on a daily basis, and, and that will help uh, much of your prayer life. Because you'll know, you know what to pray for, what not to pray for, what's in his will, what's not in his will. And so that's what I would encourage you to do as you repeat God's word back to him in prayer. So, so once again, what we've seen is that David, this man of God, this man after God's own heart, he had these great intentions. 
very good intentions to build this temple for the Lord. He, he wanted to do something for his God, this God who took care of him, this God who elevated him to the place of king over his chosen people. Wasn't in the Lord's plan, though. Wasn't something God willed for him to do, to build that temple for him. As we refresh ourselves of what went on here. But, but instead, I, I just love the fact that God would tell David what he was going to do for him. David, thanks, but no thanks. Instead, this is what I'm going to do for you. And what God said he was going to do for David far exceeded what David planned to do for God. And so in other words, David could not outdo God. Not that this was what was in was something that David was trying to do anyway, not that he was trying to outdo God. But the title of the of the study tonight is God cannot be outdone. And so whatever David wanted to do, he could not outdo God. God cannot be outdone. And and maybe to make this practical, maybe in your life you try to outdo somebody that you were looking up to. They were bigger than you, stronger than you, whatever, but you tried to outdo them. Maybe there's someone who used to run faster than you. They had longer legs or whatever the case was, stronger muscles. They would always used to outrun you. No matter how hard you tried, you could get faster and faster, but they too would get faster and faster. You just couldn't outrun them. And I remember my my two older sons, I used, to, I used to race them, and I used to beat them quite handily. And I remember, you know, racing um, my second oldest, you know, the one who went on to play college football, and he was approaching, I don't, I'm embarrassed to say what age he was, but he was approaching the teenage years. And, that's, and after that, I didn't race him for a long time. Because he was close. I still beat him, but he was close to me. I'm like, okay, this is, and I, and I used to run track in high school and I ran a little bit in college. And this, he's pretty close to me. So I said, okay, I'll I'll race him again because next time he's, he's going to get those bragging rights. But then, you know, at I, I, one point I got, you know, heavy. I put on some weight or whatever. And then, you know, I slammed down and I slammed down and, and I started feeling like, okay, I can run fast again. Let me race him. So at this time, you know, second notice, he's in ninth grade at this time. And, you know, I thought I was faster. I thought I went back to high school. And so we, we took off in the street racing. You know, he pulled off in front of me, took off, and, you know, I'm catching up. I felt like I was hanging with him, and I pulled my hamstring, and grabbed the back of his shirt and everything. So that was the last time I raced any of them. But, but prior to that, then my oldest son, Lord have mercy, in basketball, I was taller than him. And that's why I used to, of course, do layups and stuff over him. He got to the age. He started doing these crazy crossover moves and made me slip on the, on the, on the cement. So I'm like, okay. You know, I'm glad nobody had a cell phone back then because these days, instead of people helping you, they want to record you. So they would have put that on YouTube. Oh, look at this guy trying to play his, his, his son, and he just got crossed over and slipped. So, but anyway, there, there were times where my kids didn't used to outdo me, and they ended up outdoing me in these various sports and running and all this stuff. 
But when it comes to God, we will never, ever, ever be able to outdo God. Even if that's not really our desire. But, but I just want to put that thought out there because David thought that what he was going to do would please God. He thought that. And, and God, of course, uh, and, you know, told him that it was good that he had that intention. We, we covered that. And so if David was able to carry out this building of the temple, it would have been an expression of love, reverence, and appreciation from David to God. But we know what God has said to him. No, you won't be allowed to do this. But you know what? I'm going to bless you with something better, David. I'm going to bless you with an everlasting dynasty. You know, it's the same way with us. You know, many of us think we can impress God with our works. We, we build fancy buildings to impress the Lord. We, we dress in our Sunday's best to impress the Lord. We, we try to sing the loudest to impress the Lord. And if you're giving the Lord your best, and it was with a pure heart, this is not to say to stop doing those things, to stop trying to please the Lord or to, do, you know, to stop doing what God calls you to do, to give God your very best. It's not to say not to do that. So, so the goal of this message is not to belittle your service or, or belittle you doing your best for God. For once again, God is pleased with our service in Christ if it's done with a pure motive. But I just want to share with you that the main point of this study is to highlight and not overlook the greatness of God and what he has done for us. Say that one more time. The main point of this study is to highlight and not overlook the greatness of God and what he has done for us. Because what God has done for us, it far outweighs what anyone has done or will do for him. Far outweighs that. In other words, I want to put it this way. What we've, what we've got to gain from this relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ is more than God would gain. It's not dependent on any of us. We, we gain more from the relationship with him. And, and just in case you didn't catch it, just in case you didn't realize it, the most impressive gift, I'm going to call it a gift, or this person a gift, the, the most important gift wrapped up in the promises that God gave to David is the gift of the Messiah. The most important gift and all of these words that were shared with Nathan, the prophet that Nathan gave to David. The most important gift is the fact that the, the Messiah would be in his bloodline. That, that's how David's dynasty would be eternal. Because the Messiah would be in his bloodline. So what a wonderful gift to give to David. The gift of Jesus. You see, I know many of us have been blessed in many ways. 
Many of us have been, some of you have been blessed with wealth. You've been blessed with good health. You've been blessed with a husband, a wife. You've been blessed with a godly husband, a godly wife, for that matter. You've been, you've been blessed with, with beautiful children. You've been blessed with degrees from school. And, and we thank the Lord, by the way, for, for those graduates who have recently graduated. But, but you've been blessed with these degrees, with these diplomas. You've been, you've been blessed with all these various jobs and positions at work. You've been, you've been blessed with this beautiful house. And, and if you're driving a car, I don't, I don't care how the car looked. It's, if it's still moving, you've been blessed with the car, been blessed with all these things. And I know that you know that you're blessed, but I just want to share with you something that I shared about David, that the most important gift that, that was shared with him was Jesus Christ being in his bloodline. And Jesus Christ of course, we're, we're connected to him because of his blood that, that he shared. And so the most impressive gift that God has given to us is Jesus Christ. And nothing we can do could outweigh the greatness of the gift of Jesus. Yes, I know you can sing well. I know some of you can even teach the word of God well. Many of you have the gift of administration. You have uh, various gifts of, of, of giving and, and these all sorts of gifts. And you have these various talents that you're, that you're using to glorify the Lord. And I know the group that maybe you're overseeing, the group is growing, not just in numbers, but you're seeing the people grow spiritually. And yes, you're doing all these things for the Lord, but none of that outweighs the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And that's because we can never, ever outdo the Lord and all the blessings that we have, our results. Speaking of us as Christians, our result of us being in Christ as the worship team comes up. And so after seeing how much God has blessed us and, and after seeing or understanding how God is going to bless us in Christ, we should take a page out of David's book after being reminded of, becoming aware of those blessings, take a page out of his book. Go before the Lord, sit in his presence, and give him praise. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And, and Lord, you cannot fail. We thank you, Lord, that you cannot be outdone. You are a God who blesses your people abundantly. Bless us with all these spiritual gifts in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as it tells us in Ephesians 1. And Lord, as we meditate on how spoiled we are, Lord, in spite of all the trials that we're facing, we're still spoiled, we're still blessed. May our hearts be stirred to break out in a moment of thanksgiving and praise. And Father, I just pray your blessings upon your people. 
I, I pray, Lord, that whatever anyone is struggling with tonight, Lord, that you help them to overcome it, Lord. I, I pray that whatever you call them to do, Lord, that, that you would equip them to do it. I pray for those who have something in their heart to do for you, Lord, that you would give them clarity about what your will is. And I pray finally, Lord, that as we leave this place, but not your presence, that you would help my brothers and sisters to drive safely, bless them with traveling grace, and use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.